Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You are listening to It's All About Food. And this is kind of one of my favorite things to do on this program, talk about a specific food or drink. Because as you know, I like to say every food has its story. And today we'll be talking about yerba mate, which has an incredible story, which we're going to learn about from the author of Yerba Mate, a drink that shaped a nation, Julia J.S. Sariel. And Dr. Sariel is associate professor at Arizona State University and the author of The Guarani and Their Missions, a socioeconomic history. She has a PhD in history from Harvard University and teaches Latin American history and Latin American studies. Dr. Sariel first tried Yerba Mate as a Peace Corps volunteer in Curuguati, Paraguay, her intellectual interest in the beverage soaked while living in Buenos Aires and working on her dissertation about the Guarani missions. Welcome. May I call you Julia? Yes, please. Thank you. Okay. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, I was really excited when I first heard from your publisher about your book because I had just had a cup of Yerba Mate when I got that email. <laughs> so I'm familiar with the drink or the plant, mm -hmm. but there was a lot I didn't know until I read your book. So many questions. I guess the first one is, why did you write this book? Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm a trained historian, um, and I find that history explains a lot of things to me uh, about the way the world works. Um, and I'm a historian of, of Latin America, and my research is, is primarily in Argentina, Paraguay, um, and the Rio de la Plata region more broadly. And so um, I first tried Yerba Mate when I was in Paraguay as a Peace Corps volunteer, and uh, I found that you had to drink it uh, in order to, to talk to people, in order to make relationships. Um, everybody drank. Uh, today in the cold form or mate in the hot form mm -hmm. and and you to be part of the community and have a conversation you had to be drinking it and sharing it with people so I first drank it there and it, it's a very bitter without sweeteners or other flavors it's a very bitter drink um, if you can think of like coffee without any any sugar or anything so the first time I, I didn't I didn't necessarily like it but um, I liked what it, how it brought this sense of community. So I first fell in love with the drink in, in Paraguay and lived there for two, over two years and, and drank it a lot. Um, and then I went on to do my PhD studies and I, I was working on pretty much a different topic. Um, and my research though, took me to Buenos Aires because that was the head of the Viceroyalty um, that included Paraguay in the colonial period. So I, I spent a year living in Buenos Aires and, mm. and there I was so shocked. My intellectual interest in, in Yerba Mate came about because um, it has a, Buenos Aires has a big uh, cafe culture and there's cafes on every corner and everybody drinks coffee and the coffee is really good. Um, and yet when you go to the supermarket, you see even more bags of Yerba Mate and every corner store kiosk had yerba mate and and you can't drink coffee and yerba mate together because they're both caffeinated substances it's just too much so i was very curious about how these two could exist coexist um and so that brought me into the intellectual uh research of the project 
Um, and originally I was gonna do just the colonial period because that's what I was trained as, as a historian. Uh, but whenever I talked to people in Argentina or the United States, they would always say, well, today it's so meaningful to Argentines would say it's so meaningful, it's so important. Um, and tell me their yeah. stories about drinking yerba mate. And then when I talk to Americans, they're like, oh yeah, I saw that Guayaquil canned beverage. And then they wanted to hear about the present day. So that's why I took it to a longer, a longer story um, than just the colonial period. Yeah, well, there's a lot packed in this book. Before we get into any of the history, I also want to talk about yerba mate, the types, mm -hmm. how it's made, how it mm -hmm. was made, how mm -hmm. it is, and, and all of that, because it's a bit complicated. And when were you in Buenos Aires? Oh, geez, I've been there. I, I try to go since COVID, it's been a more complicated, but I try to go every other year. Ah. Um, I was, uh, my first dissertation research was at uh, 2005, 2006. And then again, in, in 216, 217, I lived there for two, two uh, periods of a year. Right. And it, it keeps changing, doesn't it? There's a lot of change that's happening there in Argentina. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I love the country. Yeah. I was only there once in 2010. I think it was 2010, and it was right when gay marriage was approved, oh, yeah. and uh, it was quite something because there were these parades and protests, and there was this one giant penis float. <laughs> that was unforgiven. Yes, yes. There's been a lot of change in Argentina recently. So let's talk about the types. Uh, yeah. Can we talk about the original kind first? Because that's sure. the most interesting and maybe... yeah. So yeah. the scientific name is Elix paraguarensis. It um, comes from the holly family, and it's a tree. Uh, tea is is a plant, so it's it's very different because it's a tree and it's from a different family. Um, but it's a caffeinated substance, just like coffee and tea. Um, and Elix again is the is the um, name Elix paraguarensis is the only species that's recognized as yerba mate today. But in the colonial period, um, even into the 19th century uh, and earlier, they, the, the indigenous peoples and even the, the, um, the offspring of the Spaniards and the, and the indigenous peoples, they drank different types of elixirs as yerba mate. So they didn't just uh, consider it elix paraguarensis. Um, but today we only recognize, and, and legally it's only elix paraguarensis. Mm. Um, so there are, in Argentina, they will experiment with some other elix. So one company um, tries is trying to market a lower caffeinated um, uh, yerba mate. So they sell elix dumosa with uh, yerba mate. So it's e a mix of elix dumosa, which has less caffeine, mm. and elix paraguarensis. Um, and so uh, it's a it, it it has indigenous origins. It began with either the Guarani or the Kaingang, which are indigenous peoples um, of the broader uh, Paraguay, Argentina, Brazil border region, um, and and they drank it. But also, uh, it, it's it's in some of the colonial sources, it's unclear of all the different ways that they that they used uh, yerba mate. Um, but today it's it's drunk uh, and, and not, I, I don't know of people consuming it in any other way. Uh, well, I guess people are making uh, flan with yerba mate and there's a 
gin that's uh, infused with sure. yerba mate. So there are other ways of using this herbal product, um, but it's typically drunk. Okay, so the original way people were drinking it, the what I've gotten from your book and through mm -hmm. time, the indigenous people that were drinking it, um, it was a very communal thing. Mm -hmm. the, the, the leaves were put into a container and mm -hmm. mixed with boiling water or hot water and then yeah. kind of brewed. And then uh, there, there's a whole procedure where yes. the thing is put, the mass is pushed away and you have yes. the liquid and... And then you have a straw that you drink from and pass it around to everyone. Yes. And then from time to time, you add more water to it. Mm -hmm. And um, it it's a very communal thing and it creates a lot of yes. community. But for some of this, it sounds disgusting. <laughs> so it is, it's very, very different in the United States versus um, United States. Also, I would say in Germany and some other places where it's caught on as, a, as an energy drink. Um, in, and the mate or terre is completely different than any other beverage. Um, so it, it's not only a caffeinated drink, it's a social practice, as you mentioned. It's communal, it's shared. Um, and when you say to somebody um, in, in South America, you don't say, I'm, let's go have a coffee. Like you would say, let's have a coffee, one coffee, right? Um, you don't say let's have a mate. You would say let's have let's share some mates. Mm. So you drink multiple mates, and um, what you do it's very different than any other substance. You have um, a mix of typically it's the it's a, a, a fine powder, um, some small leaves and some small twigs, and you put that in a recipient. Typically, it's a gourd, or um, today you might have a silicon gourd or a glass gourd. So it's not always a a um, you know, the, the dried vegetable gourd. Um, and you put in, I would say it's about like about a half a cup of, of yerba mate. So much more than you would put in wow. of, of mm -hmm. to your coffee. Um, and you, uh, take you, you pour from a thermos, um, say a quarter cup of water, and then you slurp it out, uh, mm -hmm. the, the drink through this straw. And so it's, it's, the straw is called the bombija. It's metal and it has a sieve at the bottom because you don't want to drink the, the leaves and the powder. Um, you just want the liquid. Um, and the bombija is, uh, it's interesting because it's metal and the water is hot. So when you first drink it, not only is it bitter, but it also, the metal straw is hot. And so you have to, um, you don't gulp it all down in, in, in one sip. You, you kind of take little small sips um, because you don't want to burn your lips with the, with the metal bombija. Um, and then you, you slurp that quarter cup and then you turn it back to the server, hand back the, the gourd to the server and the server refills it from the thermos, refills the water and passes it to the next person. And it goes around and around in, in uh, uh, around. And it's, uh, there, there are a lot of different rules with it. And a lot of, um, it's a very much a ceremony um, you, the only the server can touch the bombija, the, the straw, the everybody else, nobody can touch the straw other than mm. with their lips. So that's one faux pas that Americans often do. Um, also, you can't say thank you until you're done completely. So when you drink your, your sip and you hand it back, you never say thank you because that means I'm done. 
so that's kind of also a, a, something that takes a lot of time for us Americans to get used to, because usually when you hand something back, you say thank you to mm -hmm. alert the person. You, you cannot do that. And then there's also sayings, for example, you have to drink all of the water from the, the, uh, the gourd. Um, you can't turn it back with some of the water still there. And you also need to drink it quickly after um, they serve it to you. There's different sayings like, for example, um, the bombija is, or the mate or the bombija isn't a microphone because a lot of people might hold it and keep talking in conversation. And that's a faux pas, you have to drink it and then you can keep talking. Um, so it's, uh, it's very different in the United States. It's mostly this energy drink that you drink from a bottle or a can and it's, um, you know, it's individual, it's not shared, very, very different. Okay, this is fascinating. And this was not in the book. I'm working right now on an on an article, hopefully about uh, the the um, the marketing of yerba mate in the United States and how it's different, um, and and why it's different. Like you said, it's kind of disgusting to share a, a, a bombija. We're not accustomed to in the United States, even yeah. before COVID, to be sharing drinking from the same glass um, or using the same utensils. So um, it's a very different thing. Okay, I don't know if this has any authenticity or not, but when I was in uh, Buenos Aires, I got this at some tourist shop, and uh, so I'm showing a gourd here, and this is a a wooden bombija. Yes, a, a bamboo taquara. Bamboo, yeah, uh, but I don't use it because you know I don't I don't know how if I use it, can I clean it and. So there's a whole, you can read a whole process on the internet about how to cure the gourd. Um, ah. And, you know, one of the things is you, you shouldn't leave the, the, once you finish with the jerba, you shouldn't leave it like for a day on your counter, you know, it'll start to grow um, fungus and whatever else in the, with the gourd. So right. uh, there is a, there is more, more upkeep. Um, I typically just use, I have um, I, today, I'm not using, I'm using my daily uh, mate gourd, which is not fancy. You can see the paint is peeling and it's a metal yes. um, right. gourd, but I, this is my daily, I have a nicer one that I typically use when, if we had video, I would be using that. Yes. Okay. I have to go back and get um, some metal bombijas. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm also surprised to hear the quantities because a half a cup of yerba mate and a quarter cup of water that's strong. Yes. Yes. And then I imagine as you add more water, it maybe gets weaker. But I've also read that when you continue to add water, it brings more caffeine out into the into the mixture. I would disagree with that. Uh, I mean, I yes, I would disagree with that. The everything I've heard is that the the first sips are that have the most caffeine. Um, and I, when I was living in Argentina, one of the things that I did, um, you know, I'm not only a historian, but I also enjoy just learning more about yerba mate. So I bought um, all of the main brands of, of yerba mate and I invited my friends over who were Argentine and I did several of these rounds who were, um, who drank mate. And so I gave, I would serve them tastes of the different brands of mate without telling them which ones were which. And um, I had to do this after they finished work. So like 5 p.m. And the first sips of mate are usually, are definitely the most bitter. They also, you, if there's any powder, loose powder, but the first sips, you get that powder. So when I was doing the tasting as being the host, 
I would do the first drinks of these like eight <laughs> different kinds of, of mate. Boy, I could not sleep the next night because <laughs> that night, because it's so, I had to, I was drinking the ones with the most caffeine, the first, first sips of it. Um, but yes, it, it, you know, it's really hard to judge the amount of caffeine in mate because you're constantly refilling it. And it depends on how much water you use. Do you use a liter of water? That's a lot of water. And then Argentines typically refill. They say that they're, the, the gerba is lavado or, or washed out and they'll put in new gerba. So it really varies on how much you're drinking. Um, but when you drink it as a tea, so you can buy tea bags of gerba mate and it is, um, it, it, it has, it, I believe it's less caffeine than black tea, um, but it's, and, and as we know, black tea and, and green tea all have less uh, uh, caffeine than a cup of coffee. But be careful because when you buy, look at the amounts of caffeine on the different yerba mate um, beverages that we have in the United States, because a lot of them actually add, make intensify the, the caffeine content. So they use the yerba mate extract and I made the mistake one day because I sometimes I'll drink in the afternoon a yerba mate tea with a tea bag. And I, um, and, and I decided, well, you know, it's hot here in Arizona. I'll have some, uh, it will remain nameless, of a brand of, of yerba mate uh, uh, iced tea beverage. And boy, again, I couldn't sleep. And I went and looked at the label and I saw how much caffeine it had. And it was so much more than a cup of, ca uh, uh, of tea. So they vary the different guayac or the different sorry yerba mate um, uh, brands have vary in their their um, caffeine content. I don't like tea bags. I'm kind of a purist. I don't like paper or nylon mixing with my tea, and uh, I'm showing you a little mini French press that I use, which I love. Uh, it's a Rishi press, and. Uh, I put my teas in there. It works pretty well, but I'm guessing that maybe my yerba is a uh, dilute or I don't know I, because I put like a tablespoon yeah. in there with a cup, two cups max of hot water. That would be, that would be uh, like what they call mate cocido or the, the yerba mate tea. So that's, mm -hmm. that's not, that's, um, that's different than the mate or the, 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 um, the terere, but the people do drink that in South America, mate cocido, with made um, with with the um, much more diluted, like a tea. Right. But is the mate the same? The actual leaves? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just curious: uh, are the is the cultivated mate different from the wild version? Yeah. So so um, so again, the, the it's the same species. So Elix paraguarensis is the only recognized legal. If you want to label in South America, if you want to put the label of yerba mate, it has to be Elix paraguarensis. So um, there are different types, but you you would be breaking the law by by using that as yerba mate. But there are different um, different species. Um, and now they're really getting into cloning. The big companies are getting into cloning the yerba mate. So um, it's becoming more, even more standardized. Um, and uh, when I was there in 2017 and spent a good amount of time in the, with the yerba production, um, they were just transitioning to harvesting by machine. So tea for a long time has been harvested by machine in, in Argentina is a big tea producer. 
um, most of the tea goes into making our instant tea, like um, instant tea, uh, um, tea drinks, the cold tea drinks. It's not considered a high quality um, uh, tea, but uh, they, so they, that, that's, um, you harvest the new shoots on, on, um, on tea on with yerba mate, you want to uh, harvest the, the mature leaves. So they work really well together. So a lot of the, the um, in Argentina, they would coexist tea with, with yerba mate. Um, so tea has been harvested for a long time there mechanically. And, and only now are the big producers starting to move from hand people uh, mm -hmm. harvesting the yerba mate to, to uh, mechanical. So there's gonna be a lot of changes there and a lot of people um, you know, without work and land ownership, and it's going to be very interesting about the production of yerba mate into the future. Uh, I really want to get to the history in a moment. Yeah, but I have a couple more questions just because mm -hmm. I'm curious. So we talk about caffeine, and mm -hmm. I've seen a variety of different articles saying that there's caffeine, matine, taine, and I have a chemical engineering background. I want to know the chemistry and I haven't, I, I haven't spent that much time looking into it, mm -hmm. but I also haven't found much information yeah. saying, is it the same? Is caffeine the same? Or is it because there are other things in mate and in tea that mm -hmm. interact that we get mm -hmm. the different situations? So it, it's, I've read about the matine and the different, all of these different things. It, it has caffeine. Um, so it is caffeine. Um, you know, it's a different plant. Um, I, I also, you know, don't, I'm not a biochemist and, and understand all of this, but it has caffeine. Um, it's interesting, the, the health benefits and the dangers. Um, there's a lot out there about uh, yerba mate and it being a, basically a superfood and having all of these health benefits. Um, and those that kind of thinking goes back to the very beginning of the colonial period where it was it was considered a wonder drug mm -hmm. but then also people concerned about the addiction because it's it's a caffeine and it's a, you know you get it's a habit forming um so this idea about the health benefits have been around a long time there's also talk about it causing throat cancer um but what i've been told is that's because uh people drinking it too hot and huh. so you drink a lot again with the gourd and, and you can, if you're drinking it too hot, it's burning your throat. Um, so there's a lot of information there about health and um, uh, all of the different nutrients. Um, I enjoy it uh, and, and, you know, it, it is definitely a stimulant, um, but as far as the health benefits, I'm not uh, a scientist as far as that, that goes. Well, it does have uh, quite a number of minerals in it, mm -hmm. so it does bring a certain amount of nutrition. I, now, I haven't drank it in the quantities like you discussed when you were doing the mate sampling, but when I have my cups of mate, I find that I don't feel the same stimulation. It feels nice, mm -hmm. but I, it doesn't feel jittery mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. coffee caffeine can feel. And I'm not sure if that's caffeine or related to all the other things that come hand in hand in the mate, but I, I it feels good. Yeah. yeah. Or the quantity too. Or the vary. quantity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you span about 500 years in this book of history. Mm -hmm. 
And the first thing that's fascinating is where does that information come from from 500 years ago? And how did you yeah. find it related to Yerba Mate? Because with history, you know, we hear about kings and, and rulers and things, yeah. but tea? <laughs> yeah. So so I first was exposed to it because I'm, I'm trained as a colonialist. So I studied the Guarani missions in, in South America. The Guarani missions were with the Jesuit priests. And basically what happened during the Spanish empire, the Spanish empire had a lot of territory. Um, and, you know, we didn't have planes or internet and telephones. And so to rule this vast empire was costly and difficult. And um, there were a lot of people in the Americas uh, when the Europeans came. And so uh, the Spanish empire found it um, beneficial to outsource some of that ruling, we could say. And um, they got priests, like the Jesuit priests, to set up missions to acculturate the Indians, to teach them monogamy, to teach them to be good Spaniards, monogamy, Catholicism, uh, the Spanish language, wage, working at um, settled agriculture, livestock, all of these different things. So they set up these, these missions. And I was very interested, having been a Peace Corps volunteer and seeing the cultural interactions and the cultural differences in, in rural Paraguay, I was really interested in this Jesuit Guarani experience. Um, but I was trained as an economic historian. And so I went through all of these um, accounting records and the Jesuits and the people who followed them were really good about having accounting records. They kept track of huh. all sorts of things, um, accounting records, and then also censuses because they had to uh, pay taxes. The Indians had to pay taxes uh, to the crown because they were, of course, um, uh, citizens. So they had to pay tribute. Oh. And you had to, so you had to count the number of inhabitants. And um, I was, I used that, there's a, so there's a plethora of information. And what I found in the accounting records were Gerbamate. Lots of it. So Gerbamate, <laughs> the missions produced Gerbamate to sell because it was a popular colonial uh, product. So they sold it and they used that revenue to fund their, their missions. Also the indigenous inhabitants, they liked mate and they forced uh, the Jesuits basically to, to include that in the daily rations. So they would give meat uh, and they would also give gerba mate to, to the inhabitants of the mission. So I, I kept seeing all of this, this gerba mate. And, and as I started to think about gerba mate, I was like, this is really interesting. And Spaniards haven't had, when they came over, they were not exposed to, to tea or coffee. It was really early. Um, and the first missions were, were 1609. Um, and, and so I thought the first, Jesu the first Europeans to come to the region would write about Yerba Mate. And I scoured those sources and they didn't write about it. Um, and I think basically what it was, was first of all, they were hungry. They were trying to conquer. They, they didn't have enough food. Uh, the, everything was new. And they're just looking for food and trying to survive. And so this strange drink, they weren't interested in it. But the Jesuits were really interested in it, especially because the indigenous people mm -hmm. used it in ceremonies. And, and so I later went into reading about uh, Jesuits, uh, Jesuit accounts of native society and how Jerba Mate was in there. The, sh the shamans were using it. Um, it was used to talk with the, according to the Jesuits, to talk with the, the devil. Um, 
and it was used in a wedding ceremonies um, and so on. And so it, we think that there's, you know, this is hundreds of years ago and there's, there's a, a, not everything is recorded, but there's a lot of information. And if you, I would have been fortunate to uh, do my graduate studies at Harvard and was well-funded um, and was able to spend time in South America and look for, for, for sources. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot out there and also today online um, too. Uh, so we can read a lot about the past. When we do read about the past and the future, we see a lot of similar threads. Mm -hmm. So humans like to exploit. Humans like to exploit land, people, animals, mm -hmm. even people they're close to. I I, uh, I kind of tend towards being a misanthrope sometimes because humans can be very ugly. Mm -hmm. And you see this theme in your book mm -hmm. uh, from the beginning, even the Jesuits that are supposed to be there to do good things in order to advance their work, they kind of bend it a little. Mm -hmm. So this year, mm -hmm. Bamate, it might be connected to the devil, who knows, but, you know, we want to sell it and we want these people to learn our ways. So, okay, we'll give them a little. Mm -hmm. Precisely. <laughs> Yeah, and that continues throughout. Mm -hmm. But what's but yerba mate seems to be different than coffees and teas somehow because it is so connected to culture and community. So mm -hmm. as much as the colonists tried to change the people, they could not beat this yerba mate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they they try it. And they like it, and then they adopt it themselves, and it spreads to Peru, uh, to Bolivia, and Chile. But even still, it never, it was never really an explosively trending item that went global. Yeah, it. And what I what I claim is uh, that it really has to do with the structure of the Spanish Empire. So it became very popular in South America, but um, its transportation costs are high. You know, you drink a lot of this, and it's difficult to transport. And for much of the Spanish colonial period, uh, Spain wanted to capture all of the benefits of trade, and they restricted trade, and they focused on the mines. There's a lot more money to be made from silver than yerba mate, and so uh, they restricted trade. And so to get this plant. Uh, from Paraguay to Europe, you had to go uh, from Paraguay, you had to get across the Andes to Lima, and the Andes are quite hard before we had uh, automobiles and trains and such. Uh, and then you had to get from Lima to Panama, cross the Isthmus, meet up in, in, in Cuba and get to, to Spain. It was just really prohibitively expensive. And by the time Spain started dismantling these barriers to trade and allowing Buenos Aires to trade directly with Spain, by that time, tea and coffee had, had um, really become important in Europe. And, and it was very difficult for, for Yerba Mate to compete. And then very soon thereafter, we have independence wars. And um, basically, tea and, tea and coffee are, are, are really prevalent and there were efforts to try to, to market yerba mate as less expensive, superior to tea and coffee, and, and it really didn't take off, not until very recently. 
Right. Now there's, can you talk about the difference between the leaves, the yerba mate, and the processed yerba mate? Because you talk about them and you talk about in the earlier times um, with Argentina and Brazil, the difference between the two and how they were taxed yeah. differently and how it affected everything. Yeah, so so today it's very interesting if you um, buy yerba mate from South America, um, today, and there's uh, some of it, different brands and, and different places have uh, finer grained, uh, gr uh, founder grind, ground uh, yerba mate, uh, sometimes like it doesn't have sticks in it, um, but the the most notable difference is the Brazilian uh, yerba mate. So Brazilian yerba mate is it's not uh, aged as long, and so it is bright green. It is mm -hmm. less processed. Um, and this, the origins uh, are from when there was a shortage of yerba mate supply, and uh, Argentina worked on uh, uh, technology to accelerate the aging process, whereas um, uh, and to make it quicker, and whereas Brazil uh, eliminates some of the aging process. So today, the leaves from Brazil are 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 very green, um, but uh, the process of 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 harvesting yerba mate is they they um, harvest the um, the leaves and some of the branches, uh, and you toast it. Uh, the artisanal way of doing it is toasting it over a a, a fire immediate, like very quickly after you harvest the leaves. You toast it over a fire to um, it, it kind of pops, and some of the liquid um, um, it, it is removed or dried out of the yerba the mate leaves. Um, and then they chop it into smaller pieces, get some of the bigger branches out, and then you toast it. And um, what I've seen, I've seen this both the processing, which is um, you know more industrialized, and the artisanal way is using what's called the barbacoa. And uh, it's 24 hours under a, uh, or over a, a flame, there's a fire and it's just heated. So you don't, you don't burn it, but it's this drying process. Um, and then you, uh, then you take it and you, you chop it and, it, uh, and make it even more fine and, and let it um, uh, age for typically 12 months uh, is the wow. standard, but then there's this accelerated process. Ooh, well, aging 12 months can certainly add to the cost. Yes. So today there's accelerated process. The pro they can do it accelerated, but also that um, there's a there's been in recent years a, um, a premium line of yerba mate in Argentina. So organic that's aged longer. Um, and, and so there's uh, some differentiation now in the yerba mate, which that's been relatively probably in the past 10 10, maybe 20 years at the most. Yeah, I'm wondering about the the drying process or the process that exposes the yerba mate to some burning material. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in my very short, quick reading <laughs> on the pluses mm -hmm. and minuses of yerba mate, there was a mention that maybe the increased cancer risk has to do with the materials that are used to dry and toast. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering if different companies are are using different yeah. methods there. There and there's the there's this wide range between really kind of scientific, um, industrialized, you know, really advanced machinery 
companies, and then there's uh, there's these smaller companies that that uh, do more artisanal, uh, organic. Um, but it, the really the the market I know mostly Argentina is is dominated by these really big producers. Um, and so yes, you do have variations, and there's. Um, there's some regional differences where pe some people like the smoky flavor, and so there is like this barbacoa fl uh, flavor where it where it has mm. more of a smoky flavor. Um, and then, but that's again kind of a specialty market. Uh, so there, there's yeah, there are very there are differences in different tastes for for yerba mate. And I imagine that the greener Brazilian variety tastes a little different. Yes. Yes. And the people that I know who get it here, they store it in their freezer to keep it uh, fresh. So oh. yeah, it's a it's a different the Brazilian variety. Yes. Ah, yeah. okay. Noted. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to get it. Do we? Have it, it's here? much harder. It's much harder to get. Um, so what's interesting is when I first moved to Arizona, I, I lived in California before. And I could readily get yerba mate at, at Latino stores in, in the San Francisco area it was not a problem. And I moved here to Phoenix, this was in 2009. And I was like, where am I gonna get my yerba mate? Um, and the first place I got it was at Haji Baba, uh, <laughs> a, a Middle Eastern uh, supermarket. <laughs> because the second largest importing country of yerba mate is Syria. Uruguay does not produce yerba mate. They're the largest importer. And then and then Syria. So there are a lot of people um, in the Middle East who drink yerba mate. So that's where I first got it. And now then I found Tienda Latina that sells an assortment. Um, mostly it's Argentine brands. Uh, I've gotten them to, to carry now some Paraguayan and they do carry some Brazilian ah, uh, and Uruguayan too. Well, I haven't looked outside of Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and the regular supermarkets, but I live in New York City and we have everything. Yeah. So I bet I could find it. I'm, I'm sure you can. Look. Okay. Another ongoing theme uh, over the 500 years were the poor indigenous mm -hmm. folks mm -hmm. that were drinking and were growing the yerba mate and were drinking it and it was part of their livelihood and sometimes when there was limited funds limited budget for food yerba mate wasn't mm -hmm. like the second or top ingredient of the mm -hmm. list yeah which is curious but i i like to think that because there are some nutrients in yerba mm -hmm. mate that it helps sustain them not just stimulate them um but interesting the way other people perceive these people over time, mm -hmm. either as Yerba Mate was healthy and invigorating or made them lazy. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> that seemed to go back and forth over time. And isn't it ironic? I think it's so I, funny that, that people would think that a caffeinated substance makes somebody lazy. But it was the thought that you sit around in this round and drink mate that you're wasting time. Uh, but there was it it exposes the classism, uh, especially in Argentina. this This was a difference from the other parts of of like in Uruguay and Paraguay, southern Brazil. People continued to drink yerba mate, have always drunk yerba mate. Whereas in Argentina, in the twentieth century, especially late nineteenth century, um there was a classist um, Kind of opposition to to yerba mate. It was anti hygienic because you share the the bombilla, uh, but 
uh, Argentines, especially elite Buenos Aires, in, in elite class in Buenos Aires, they wanted to be more European, wanted to be more modern, and they saw mate as um, something antiquated, and they associated it with the countryside. Um, it was interesting, it's in, been interesting, is that in Argentina, um, there's this vague notion that yes, it originated with indigenous peoples, but when you think about the history of mate, it's been in, in Argentina, people associate it more with the gauchos or the cowboy, the rural folks. Um, and so when Argentina wanted to aspire and in the early 20th century, it was one of the top wealthiest countries in the world, one of the top 10 wealthiest countries in the world, they wanted to be more European, drink tea, drink coffee, not this strange mate. <laughs> Um, and so uh, it, 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 it's, um, it became a clandestine beverage of the elite and they looked at it as something that the poor did, uh, something that, um, yeah, people um, would, would, would uh, subsist on mate and some crackers and, and, and that that's what they could live on. Um, and mate is, is a stimulant, it is addictive. Um, and so people prioritized it. it. It has always been a basic, considered a basic necessity. So when Argentina, from the beginning, when the government came up with a list of the basic necessities, yerba mate has always been on that list. Um, and uh, there's been the sense, though, in the early 20th century was that as Argentine, Argentina became wealthier, people would stop drinking mate. They'd turn to coffee and tea. Um, and clearly, especially in the past 20 years, that has absolutely not happened. There's been a renaissance of mate uh, and people, Argentines especially, embrace mate now. And it's definitely not, if anyone says that you're lower class and it's been said that, that mate is, is, is associated with the lower class, um, there's immediate uh, repercussions and it becomes a big scandal. Uh, a couple of years back, there was La Cheta or the snob of Nordelta she was heard in an uh, audio recording complaining to her um, real estate agent about the condo that she had bought in Nordelta, which is outside of Buenos Aires. It's, it's kind of a, a bedroom community. People have weekend homes there. She bought a condo and spent a lot of money. And she's just a normal woman, a surgeon, but a normal woman. And uh, she her neighbors would drink mate by the pool like it was a lower class beach resort. And she wanted it to stop or she wanted her money back. Um, and this went viral. It was even published in the New York Times. Yeah, I think um, I remember this story. <laughs> and, and some people do think that way. And there's been, again, with COVID, another congressman who said, uh, maybe this is a great opportunity to get rid of this horrible practice that's responsible for the decline of Argentina. And then he said that was he was joking. That wasn't really true. But there are these uh, every once in a while, these classist um, statements about mate. And then the whole society co comes back and says that's that's horrible. Um, so there's these undercurrents that still exist. That's something we see a lot of in the United States, this belief that bigger is better, corporations get more, seem to get more uh, government benefits than small businesses and people that want to grow their business. They, the, the bigger corporations have lobbyists and more power mm -hmm. and, the, and they have the ear of the politicians. And you, you read that in your book. 
about mm -hmm. the, the poor folks that have been growing the yerba and they, and they want assistance, they want help, they want access to processing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and over the hundreds of years, there's been a variety of things that happen, taxes on imports mm -hmm. and exports. And, and, uh, but somehow the bigger folks always seem to win. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, the, our, in Argentina, there are and there have been throughout the 20th century, um, seven, about seven big yerba mate companies that are that are the processors. And they though the number which companies are within the seven has changed over time, but there has always been about seven. Um, and they are very dominant. But there has been uh, uh, there are still a number of medium and small growers of yerba mate. My concern, especially is now as the harvesting is become, becoming automated and you need big machinery to harvest, it's gonna be mm -hmm. even more uh, centralization, but uh, they have, there's been ups and downs, but there have been a number of small and, and medium producers of yerba mate in, in Argentina, um, which, is, which has been, it, it's been a struggle. Um, but it's a very interesting history because where it's grown is in the borderlands of, of Brazil and, and Paraguay, where um, there's indigenous peoples, Guarani is, is frequently spoken, um, population tends to be darker, mestizo, mulato. Um, and yet the, the growers of, of yerba mate um, they they are a lot of them have roots and call themselves as colonos, and they, they have roots from from Europe. And there's it's very strong still the Ukrainian, the Polish um, uh, identities of of these different communities where where yerba mate is grown. Um, so there's still class issues where a lot of the 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 pickers are. Are, are more um, mixed race, um, whereas the, the growers, the small farmers are these colonos, people who are blonde and white um, often with these uh, um, European roots. So it's a fascinating, uh, not only is, to me it's been fascinating, not only the, the, the customs around drinking mate and the perceptions about drinking mate, but also the, the growing and, and, and um, you know, it's it's out in the borderlands where much of Argentina focuses on Buenos Aires and the center. This takes us out to to these borderland regions. Uh, speaking of race, I'm remembering in the book. I think it was late 19th century, early 20th century. A few journalists were trying to write about the plight of workers and their difficulties and called them white slaves white slaves and they, and they weren't really white and i found that really curious because you talked about how the people in power the white people it it affected them because hearing about white slaves was upsetting as opposed yes. to non-white slaves but i was also wondering were the journalists doing it to promote themselves somehow get more attention or were they or maybe a combination yeah. or were they really um genuine in their reporting it, it's it's to attract attract attention to the attract attention to the issue to their articles um, and their therefore also themselves. But um, it was noteworthy that the 
the this was in 1908 was when it really started this idea of drawing attention to the exploitation in the the of the yerba workers uh and uh in paraguay there was an author a spanish author named barret and he wrote about esclavos slaves but he never called them white but the author bouvier who was french and was writing about argentina and also the whole borderlands he called them white slaves when clearly you know they're guarani speakers they're um, they're from this region, they're darker skin, there's Brazilians, they're not white. And he even says, no European could ever do this work. Um, but he's calling them white to draw this attention to, um, to, to the issue, because again, it would be, you know, if we exploit indigenous peoples or our people of African ancestry, that's, yeah, you know, of course that's bad, but it's not that bad because they're not white, they're not European. And so this really drew attention to it. And it's ironic because um, Argentina has a long history of, of identifying itself as a white nation um, and, and saying that we're all offsprings of, of uh, Spaniards, primarily Spaniards and Italians with a mix of some Germans in there and, and other races, but we killed off all of our, our indigenous population. <laughs> and we don't have any blacks. And there's a long history of, of that kind of idea, perception. And it's true that, that there are, um, that, that, that if you look at the phenotype of people in Buenos Aires, there tends to be more of a, of a whiter population, uh, but they definitely did not kill off all of the indigenous or, or, or African, people of African ancestry. So it's interesting how this rhetoric of white slaves fits into that narrative of a white nation, even though that's not really true. Um, but that that whole history is is definitely exists. Yeah, it's all part of the fascinating story in Yerba Mate, the drink that shaped the nation. So just in the last few minutes, let's talk about Yerba Mate today in mm -hmm. Argentina, but also here in the United States. What's happening with it and how did it become popular again? Yeah. So I, um, I argue that, that the renaissance of Yerba Mate in Argentina really came about because of the unfortunate repeated economic crises in the country. So um, because it's been, Yerba Mate has been associated with the lower class and workers, and there's been a lot of political pr uh, pressure to keep it inexpensive. And so for the government to institute uh, ceilings, price ceilings, or subsidies or other things to keep yerba mate inexpensive for the workers and for the poor. Um, so we had repeated crises uh, for mo most, most of, much of the 20th century, but it really became bad in the 1980s and 90s. And sociologists write about the loss of the middle class, the new poor. So people who were factory workers losing their job, um, you know, people who were middle class uh, losing their income and there's there's high inflation. And so um, what do you do when you have less money? You look for ways to economize. And so these new poor and uh, um, and people with 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 cuts in their income, they're looking for ways to replace uh, to substitute. So you know instead of taking a taxi, you take the bus. Um, instead of driving, you ride your bike. Um, instead of drinking coffee, drink maybe yerba uh, mate tea or mate. People started replacing uh, uh, tea and coffee with yerba with mate. Mm. Also, another benefit was um, 
Argentina, one thing I love about Argentina is, is how welcoming people are and how, um, how important meals are, sharing meals and, and having a long drawn out meal with lots of conversation, be that at lunch or dinner, or to go to somebody's house for an asado um, on a weekend for, for um, grilled meat. And, and you, a meal is lasts for hours and lots of conversation and sharing, and you never feel rushed to, to end. Um, well, again, as you have uh, cuts in your budget, buying meat is expensive, but having meals is expensive, but you can have that same sociability with mate. So you invite somebody over to have unos mates or some mates and you're still sharing food and maybe you add some cookies or something less expensive. So people were being more exposed to, to mate because they had to cut their budget, um, but then they were also developing an appreciation for it. Furthermore, in the era of globalization and all of these difficult crises, um, Argentines and, and, and Argentina was going through in the 80s a return to democracy. Um, there was a desire to have some, some pride and some sense mm. of hope. And so uh, embracing a drink that is, uh, I love the word autochthonous or, or native to the region, that's, that, that's something that's theirs was really appealing. So, so to say that this mate is ours, it's not, it's very different than your Coca-Cola or um, you know, coffee or something, it's, it, it's ours. And so um, that led to this resurgence of, of Yerba Mate. So it is, um, it is now the national infusion of Argentina. And uh, Argentina also has made Yerba Mate Argentina uh, a, um, indicator of geographic origin, just like tequila is Mexican and champagne is French. It's a little uh, touchy because Paraguay and Brazil also produce Argent uh, yerba mate, um, yeah. but there's this sense of this um, identity, but it, but it also goes across borders, that it is something of that region, not just of Argentina. Oh, and I should say about yerba mate today um, that it's, it, if you read newspapers, uh, college newspapers, there's often lots of articles about uh, um, yerba mate infiltrating college campuses, and especially in California and Colorado, um, in artistic communities. Uh, and uh, yerba mate is thought of as this uh, healthy energy drink um, in, in the United States. Uh, and it's also uh, a big party drink in Germany uh, <laughs> where they mix it with alcohol. Club Mate, um, and it's a favorite of hackers and uh, club goers in Germany. Um, and there are also other little iterations of, of Yerba Mate, uh, which I'm, I'm researching right now. Um, so we'll see what the future is. There's a number of brands in the United States that are coming out. Um, a lot of them are associating with causes um, that a portion of their profits are being donated to, to certain causes. Um, also that they are organic and that they're trying to do a fair trade and, and help the farmers that grow it. Um, so that's all very promising. Well, Julia J.S. Sariel, the author of Yerba Mate, The Drink That Shaped a Nation. I really enjoyed talking to you today and learning so much about Yerba Mate. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. I really <laughs> enjoy it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. 
And so ends another episode of It's All About Food. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I enjoyed reading Yerba Mate, The Drink That Shaped a Nation, and speaking with Julia J.S. Sariel. I loved learning about this tea, and I'm, I'm going to be enjoying drinking it a lot more, knowing its story. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Karen Hartglass. You've been listening to It's All About Food. Comments and questions can be sent to me at info at realmeals.org. Everybody have a delicious week. Bye-bye.